Welcome back to This Film Not Rated, a branch of the Music City Drive-In Podcast Network, where we try to not rate what we watched this week. Everyone here is a winner, except the loser who has the most quote-unquote points. You can only earn points by not using your brain. Uh, if you give a subjective opinion, like Ghostbusters is one of the best comedies ever made, you'll be given a chance to justify it with as much objective detail as possible, and only if you refuse to justify it will you earn a dreaded point. You can also earn points in the TFNR gauntlet. On this show, we talk about what we watched last week with no concern for spoilers, so remember that as we turn to the ultimate question, Eric. <laughs> Sorry. Locked him. Hello? Hey. Uh, I did let her out. I'm currently at uh, Eric's place recording right now. I will. I did. Don't worry about it. I I, I wasn't planning on texting anyone. Okay. Oh. <laughs> All this is going to be cut out. You think so? <laughs> I hope so. I'm editing this week, so. Oh, shit. Uh, so remember that as we turn to the ultimate question. Eric, what did you watch this week? I watched Guy Ritchie's Snatch, and I watched... Uh, Tony Scott and written by Quentin Tarantino's True Romance. Okay. Didn't know Quentin Tarantino wrote things that he gave to other directors, so that's interesting. This is not the only one, because he co-wrote uh, From Dust Till Dawn, which he was also in. Mm-hmm. And I think he's written other screenplays. There's allusions that he's written other screenplays that I'm not 100% yeah. sure of. I think he mm-hmm. also helped write or direct the dialogue for one scene in Sin City where Benicio Del Toro's dead body is next to Clive Owen. Okay. Just yeah. in the car. That's the one time in his life he's tried filming with digital cameras. I sent out a tweet not too long ago saying I'd love to see a, a, a movie written by Quentin Tarantino and directed by Edgar Wright. I think that'd be really fun to watch. Mm. But uh, as far as what I've watched this week, uh, Antichrist by Lars von Trier. And I've watched Ghostbusters, the new one by Jason Reitman. Okay. Let's stagger depressing and hopeful. True romance. True romance is the first. Okay. So there immediately is something romantic and depressing. It is a painting of violence. And that is probably up there with one of the more pretentious things I've said on this podcast before. But it's absolutely what it is. A few big points I need to make about true romance right off the bat. One... It's absolutely stacked to the brim with a cast. Two, it's a story told the way Quentin Tarantino likes to tell stories, which is not necessarily held to conventional expectations for what's going to happen with characters. You're not you're not telling, as he calls it, an event. You're telling a story where mm-hmm. things change and shift and twist and turn, and there's a you know it's a thing. So, for example, Gary Oldman infamously plays a character whose entire description is he's white, but he thinks he's black. And he's not in the movie after the first 30 minutes. Christopher Walken is in one scene. Brad Pitt is a stoner who lives on a dude's couch who has, like, less than five minutes of screen time. Samuel L. Jackson dies and you never see his eyes. He's wearing uh, uh, sunglasses at one point. Dennis Hopper plays the father of Christian Slater's character. Christian Slater leads it with Patricia Arquette. Michael Rapaport. James Gandolfini... Uh, apparently Val Kilmer makes an appearance, even though I, I guess I must have missed it on screen. Uh, Kevin Corgan, the guy you've seen from, uh, Pineapple Express and, like, in the background of a lot of mafia movies, he was in Goodfellas, he was really young in that. Mm-hmm. Just, just absolutely everybody in this movie is someone you've seen before. It's a story that continues to unfold and move forward. But that's my last point. There are two stories in this movie. Okay. 
And literally at about 44 minutes into the movie, 45 minutes, you could have a 45-minute short film about a man who falls in love with a escort, and he goes to confront her pimp, played by Gary Oldman, about having her be free to get married, mm-hmm. and the violence that ensues there, and he gets away. Okay. And it's like, he goes, and they drive off into the sunset to get married. Okay? Mm-hmm. And then the a second story begins, where the merchandise that he got away with that he thought was her clothes is actually cocaine, and there's a completely separate movie that's about an hour and 20 minutes long, mm-hmm. feature length, about... A couple who just got married who's on the run from a group of people because they have their cocaine and try to sell it in L.A. from Detroit. Okay. And you never allude. There's no reason for these two stories to be in one thing. That's It's the, the most odd structure in, I've, I've seen that is still sort of a three-act structure. Immediately, you can tell that this is written by Quentin Tarantino because his name is in the credits. No, I'm kidding. Because... The thing that is commonly used to draw a connection between him and Kevin Smith mm-hmm. is that the characters live in our world and make references to what in the 90s would be modern day pop culture references and use that to sort of communicate with other characters and things like that. Okay. Escalating violence. Uh, the dude obliterates everybody in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Christopher Walken comes after him after they make a pit stop at their dad's, which is the end of the first movie and the beginning of the second movie. I'm just going to call it that. Then James Gandolfini goes after them, and it's just sort of... You both know and don't know what's going to happen next because it's so straightforward, but the way it's untold is by the direction and writing. Okay. Now, there is a showdown between police, the people looking for their cocaine, mm-hmm. and the studio executive that they are trying to sell the cocaine to. And Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette are just caught in the middle. Directed by Quentin Tarantino, I feel like this would be handled with a lot more close-ups, a lot more color. I don't know if there would be so many feathers. They shoot up a bunch of furniture, a ton of feathers in the inside of it. It's almost like it's snowing in the room mm-hmm. at the time. And it's the same thing with the, um, with the soundtrack. Underscored horns and mm-hmm. sad and I don't know. Like I, it's. I just don't have the words currently because my brain is soup. Um, to explain the tone of this a little bit better, but I'm just saying it's interesting that Tarantino is so usually just cool beats, rising tension, mm-hmm. and violence. This is more tragic than that. Yeah, Quentin Tarantino was not able to direct both True Romance and Reservoir Dogs. Tony Scott had clout. He chose True Romance, Tarantino made Reservoir Dogs. So this could have been Quentin Tarantino's first feature movie. Okay. All I know is, I wish they had used the alternate ending. It's unconventionally structured, and uh, the movie is a really good example of how Quentin Tarantino says to tell a story rather than make a movie around a singular event. So tell me about the new movie. Uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife? I I was cautiously optimistic going to see this because uh, of of, uh, Jason Reitman being the uh, son of the original director. And based on the trailers, it looked like it was going to be kind of like a good blend of horror and comedy. There wasn't a whole lot of comedy for me 
that I saw in there. When I saw it in, in, in the theater, the people around me were laughing. I didn't laugh at all too much. That uh, feel of the, of the characters taking the threats of the ghost real was still there, which I really like. But uh, there, I, okay. I, yeah, I, I do have a lot of problems with it though. Like for, for one thing, uh, like the scene where they catch their first ghost and the kids are shipped off into prison and Phoebe gets one call. Okay. She chooses to call Dan Aykroyd. Mm. For some reason, Dan Aykroyd goes into spilling his guts to Phoebe over everything in, in, involving Harold Ramis, not knowing who Phoebe is. Like he, she, she hasn't told Dan Aykroyd she's Bangler's uh, granddaughter. She's just a random nobody who's brought all this up, and I, I don't understand why he's just. It's obviously a scene meant to give exposition, mm. but during that whole thing, I'm, I'm just wondering why are you telling this to to a random girl over the phone that you have no idea who this person is. For the entire time, Egon is presented as as the estranged father of Phoebe's mother. So Phoebe has no real emotional connection to him. Uh, Paul Rudd takes takes an active uh, role in, in in introducing her to the Ghostbusters and who they were, uh, understanding what proton packs and 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 the trap are. And uh, it, at some point in the movie, after she finds out who Egon is and learns that that she's a scientist, she asks her mom how come she never told her that egon spangler was her grandfather outside of that i thought the characters were well uh, written they didn't seem like stand-ins for the old cast everyone just kind of like falls into this it's not like they were trying to be ghostbusters it's they they found the equipment they uh, tested it out and happened to find a ghost nearby and that's it was a lot of show don't tell there is a lot of nostalgia in, mm-hmm. in the movie, like some good, some 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 bad, and like uh, I don't see the point of of Stay Puft Marshmallow Man being in there other than it's a thing that's in the original one, and it, it can be used for a funny gag. Yeah, the whole town is 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 everything is named named after e- uh, Evo Shandor in in mm-hmm. the town, and, and specifically there there's this mine, the the metal that was uh, mined there was used to build the tower in the first one. Yeah, sweet. Ecto one, I, I think, is is what was a handle well. It just as a metaphor for like the uh, series as a whole. And it's broken down and and run down. And Finn Wolfhart puts it back together and revives it. Does Gozer look exactly like Gozer from the first one? I think it's a different actor, but they tried real hard to make her look exactly so like bodysuit, red eyes, flat top, the yeah. whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, flat top. That's what Bill Murray called her as soon as he saw her for the first oh. time. So I gotta ask you the question. I've been dying to dying to dying to know before I see this movie. Sure. Did they do some sort of ghost Harold Ramis? Yeah. Damn they it. Did. I'm, I'm, thankfully, at, at the very least, I'll say he doesn't talk. And for a majority of the movie, you don't ac- actually see him. And he's communicating by moving objects in the house. Oh, which is... That yeah. I liked. But then it's at, at the end. When, when all the of other course. ghosts... When all the other Ghostbusters are there. They had to put in that, that one shot of ghost Harold Ramis... Helping Phoebe fire the uh, the uh, proton pack, and you get that shot with all of them lined lined up, and that's uh, it, 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 fine. I, it, I I I knew it was gonna happen. I just again, uh, he he never talks, so so you don't right. It's not like someone tried to perform him right. I I gotta say, I'm hearing a lot of positive things about this movie in terms of legacy. Um, I really liked Chris Stuckman's review of the movie, where he pointed out something uh, that was happening on set, which is. Um, Jason Reitman directed this, but Ivan Reitman was on set almost every day hmm. with him. It's yeah. like the, the way Chris Stuckman put it is it's like if your dad went to work with you and was staring over your shoulder, right. making sure you did your job, right? <laughs> it's yeah. so, and I, I'm not someone who's overly critical on fan service unless the movie is empty without it. 
So, like, Force Awakens, I love Force Awakens. Okay, I'm actually you know? glad glad you brought up Force Awakens, because I actually do compare this movie a lot to Force Awakens. Yeah. And, like, it is it is clearly a soft reboot. Uh, it, it starts off as its own story until about the halfway point where it just becomes Ghostbusters 1. Instead of leave, leaving a business or a uh, university, they're kicked out of their house and have to go to a new town. Those dogs still uh, take over human bodies. They're still Zul and whoever the other person is. Mm-hmm. You still have Gozer who comes back and tries to take over again. Do the Ghostbusters just show up and be Ghostbusters? Do they do anything functionally outside of that? Outside of uh, Ray giving an expedition dump to a Phoebe, they just show up and be Ghostbusters for the final scene. Okay. Which is probably what's going to happen with Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. But I didn't mind that they weren't in the film. It allowed the uh, kids to stand on their own a- as a character. Overall, would you see it again? I want to. It was well shot. Nothing really stood out to me in one way or another. Um, so this isn't really charming a lot of emotion from you. This isn't no. really pulling a lot from you. And that's that's a little disheartening. But that's... If that's what it is... No, I... Uh, that's what it is. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a good way, way to put it. Like, it, it what would have... you watch first, this or the 2016 one? This or the tw- this one. What would you watch first, this or the second one? Probably the second one. Okay. Talk to me about Antichrist. Antichrist kind of fucked me up in, 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 in <laughs> the worst way possible i was like on board for the ride at the start yeah it's the infamous almost operatic sex scene where there's a stand-in for willem defoe's balls and a child jumps out a window i was actually wondering about that did did they get a a, a... body double yeah yeah okay except for the actress is is very who's very comfortable working with lars von trier she usually does her own nudity okay but it's 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 all shot in black and white. It's all going in in slow motion, letting you know this is a very specific moment in in time, and it right. drags it out as long as it possibly can. Well, it's the dread. Yeah, part of lengthening it is to let you have to feel the millions of complex emotions that exist in that time frame. There is tragedy, playfulness, lust selfishness and and like if any one of them had not been in the shower if they took turns yeah the kid would be alive everything is black and white and also it's not at all black and white and it's so yeah like ah this movie is broken up into five chapters so you get the prologue and during the whole event the camera makes a point to to hold on these three statues essentially the Mm -hmm. next three chapters for the uh, movie and it focuses on on each one and then just the whole idea of this marriage falling apart due to this one event really well done and then like little like flares that happen throughout in specifically in the woods scenes whenever they're in the woods there's this like weird distortion in the film that kind of makes like the ground like roll look like just just looks like it's moving mm-hmm. and it gives it give it gives me the sense that like something isn't Quite right, which is what I guess you're meant to think. Mm. But like the the whole idea of 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 Willem Dafoe as 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 the psychiatrist, this this therapist who's trying to, to treat his wife, which is a big ethical no no. <laughs> it is a big ethical no no. I, I think that contributes to part of the disillusionment where he's no longer seeing his wife as his wife. She's now the patient. She he he can't be intimate with her in in certain ways. And there there are points where. I can't tell if Willem Dafoe himself is losing his, his mind because they, they're, 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 there's a, a specific shot where 
where a fox, which is one of the, the beggars, is starts talking to him. Mm. And there's this whole correlation or a, at least a, an intentional link to nature and satanic worship. Mm. And that's where all of the crazy stuff happens is like out in nature. Mm. There are just times where I think Lars von Trier is just doing things to get a shock value. Lars von Trier is the guy who made a six hour long movie and intentionally made the ending so upsetting that he was happy that it's like a fuck you to the audience. So you watch a six-hour movie of on thought about morality and choice and, and actions and directions, and in the end, this dude just tries to rape the main character because, <laughs> look at the audience, they're fucking upset. So, okay, and that's I think that's the hard t- thing about somebody like Lars von Trier is... Um, I, I wonder if he grapples with not being able to control the way the audience views his movies, kind of the way David Lynch does. Yeah, uh, maybe. Because, like, anyone who watches The House That Jack Built, uh, serial killer one that he made after, like, like more recently. I haven't seen it yet, so. Uh, well, I mean, anyone who's unhappy, that one is, like, a gradually escalating, like, horrors towards women about us. It's about a serial killer, and you can imagine that attitude towards it. Okay. Uh, and someone can just turn it off. And decide never to watch it again. Yeah. They're not in a theater where they spent their money and do something. And they just not watch it. Right. And so he's like, yeah, but there's a very subset of people who will watch it. Those are people who are going to enjoy it. So the fraction of an audience who's going to have the experience you want them to have mm-hmm. is so minuscule. But then there are times where, like, it feels like he's trying to make a point. Like, when she literally hooks a weight to Willem Dafoe's leg by drilling a hole through his leg and Mm. quite literally weighing him down, trying to make him not run away. A lot of the reasons to watch this movie really have nothing to do with the story and everything to do with the imagery associated with the film itself. Because there there are a lot of nice-looking slow-motion shots. There's a way that he composes a shot that is just always pleasing to look at, despite how graphic things get on the screen. Well then, we made it to round four, and as everybody who has seen the movie that we're going to talk about next knows, this is the round where I go out. Uh, so this is what we're going to do. Ding, ding, ding. We're going to go through the gauntlet, and Curtis is going to ask right. me questions about Snatch, directed by Guy Ritchie, starring Jason Statham, mm-hmm. and a myriad of other people, including uh, Scrum, uh, Graham, Stephen Graham, I'm sorry. Uh, right, yeah. way. So, for Snatch, the movie Good or Bad. Is Snatch good or bad, you ask me? Yeah. Good or bad. When I watched Snatch on Blu-ray for the first time, it was on a friend's recommendation, and that experience was enjoyable. When I watched Snatch on 4K, there was a significant uptick in quality from the art that was already there, Mm -hmm. and continual pacing that keeps you driving through the story until its end. So my eyes could not really leave the screen. I get hooked by this movie, and if it starts, I really can't stop watching until it's over. Okay. Uh, what What's your favorite scene? So, I won't say that there's a scene, I'll just say it's a sequence. And it's the final fight leading up to the explanation of why they're not going to die because of the final fight. Okay. And that's that's sort of again going back to what I said about the first movie is this movie is building. And so I think it says something that my favorite moment is what it's built towards. Uh so what sucked about the movie? There are aspects of this movie where I can't tell you know what? 
uh, Guy Ritchie's style has developed action-wise over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I sometimes like the freeze frames in the middle of action set pieces that he has. Uh, I sometimes dislike that. Almost mm-hmm. like the movie has stopped on a picture to zoom into a picture to kind of allow it to play like the music of whatever's going on. Mm-hmm. I think he does uh, a, a better job with later movies of letting uh, the picture continue to move and keep up the pace and style that he wants to keep up. Okay. Uh, like characters actually stopping or blocking something and the characters stop moving instead of the screen pausing and things like that. So that 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 is the only thing that can quote unquote suck, but it doesn't really always. Uh, and the other thing is uh, everything is sort of gray lit. And I know in London, everything mm. is supposed to generally be overcast and, you know, Okay. Um, then the thing that I was going to try to say earlier and wasn't sure is, uh, the way they handle, uh, what, who they refer to as gypsies, uh, not Romani, but just like, you know, these people and the way that they handle the way the black characters are treated. Mm -hmm. I can't tell if that's reflecting a true life look at how he sees people around him being treated Mm -hmm. or if he's just sort of writing what he knows. Okay. At a certain point. So that's the only thing. It's kind of hard to... It's like like Quentin Tarantino using the N-word a million times. At right. a certain point, you're like, okay. <laughs> Rank the actress from best to worst. Um, I can't. You can't? I'm not refusing. I'm just not able to. Okay. Give your favorite quote from the movie. You know what? I also can't give you a favorite quote from the movie because so much of what I like about this movie comes from the visuals. I could probably tell you a favorite shot from the movie okay, more than I could tell you a favorite quote. So I'm not going to because that will get me buzzed. But if I were to tell you... No, nah, that's cheating. Um, there, There is... A heartbreaking performance from Brad Pitt when his mom is being burned mm-hmm. to death. Mm. And there is just something gorgeous about a shot where you can just see the fire reflected in his eyes. So, uh, enough for what did you like about the movie? Guy Ritchie has a really unique style. So that about that any- actually predates something like Zack Snyder in 300 by a little bit. I think you noticed when we looked at the shot before, slow fast mo. Right. This was the year 2000. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, now the Matrix was using slow motion in an, in a way that started to bleed over into movies, mm-hmm. but like within a year, like this movie had already begun to be shot and was already dialing uh, action scenes around different timings of slow and fast motion. Okay. They they were making that before the Matrix was released. Okay. Did you learn anything uh, from the story? I see movies. As an opportunity to build empathy a lot for people. Right. This seems like a unique perspective on a world. Unique meaning I don't see a lot of other stories that feel like this style. Okay. So what I learned is how Guy Ritchie and crew sees London. And crime in the same way that Martin Scorsese gives you his insight onto how New York and like that sort of thing works. Okay. 
Uh, did you learn anything about filmmaking from the movie? From 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 watching this, so much. Okay, so uh, the composure between the action. Like, this is this is a movie that can teach you a lot about how to work non-action scenes into the flow of action fairly well. Mm-hmm. You know, it, this is also predates Edgar Wright. Yes. But you also have these smash zoom cuts, pretty much the same way Shaun gets ready in the morning in Shaun of the Dead, mm-hmm. is about how long it takes for uh, the character from America to get his shit together and fly to London. It's a bunch of zoom snapshots and things like that right. doing the same thing. Like you know, it's a, it's a lot of doing things really early. It's a lot of um, controlling the way that the mundane can be shown. Mm-hmm. In keeping it in pace as if you're shooting it like action is is progressing. And even in the scenes where things are quiet, it's usually because there's some amount of tension. So if you keep up a pace and then end on a note that holds you in a spot of tension while things slow down, and then the movie speeds back up when that tension is relieved, mm-hmm. you can see that in the action fight scenes. You can, you can see that in the boxing match at the end. When the music stops, it's because... You know that Mickey is not supposed to knock somebody out, and he just almost knocked him out. Mm. If that dude stays down, everyone's dead. And he's walking around, and they're talking, and they're saying, what are you doing? And they're waiting, and they're waiting, until finally, the character punches him back, and they punch back and forth for a minute, and then finally, when you realize that the action has caught up, the music kicks back in. Okay. When the action has caught up, and you realize that Mickey is doing what he's supposed to do... It starts to do the smash cutting and the pausing and framing and things like that because the visuals are catching up to the emotional catharsis that you've been waiting for through tension in between. Okay. What would make you watch this again? I would watch Snatch to reflect on editing, if I'm editing a project. On showing you the bare minimum of what's necessary, mm-hmm. on taking an image and showing what you can do with it, like in post, mm-hmm. that can get more out of the image than what you maybe originally recorded. Okay. And final question, the big question. Would Nicolas Cage make this movie better? You know what? Yes. Ooh, okay. I'm gonna uh, hear a this. flat out yes. I really think that Nicolas Cage would have been an excellent, uh, done an excellent job. Not that, um, not that Dennis Farina uh, doesn't do a great mm-hmm. job, mm-hmm. but I feel like Nicolas Cage in this role. I feel like uh, Nicolas Cage's energy, whether he was taking himself seriously or what, mm-hmm. so fits into the mania of the way that this movie's directed that I feel like that's where he could have slipped in. Okay. Now, as a joke, on the flip side, uh, him as Alan Ford, Bricktop, the man who feeds people to pigs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or as Brad Pitt's character, Mickey, who is essentially One Punch Man. Okay. Do you like dogs? It'd be fantastic. Like, I'm sorry, what I don't no. Do you like dogs? Thinking what you need to see, pig. At some point. Okay. Snatch is just... It's such a neat... It makes me think of the way Shane Black writes at some points. Okay. How there are so many just little details and they're just left in. Nobody's asking the question, do you really need this? Could you take it out? 
And if they are, you can't really see it because there are so many minute details that they just let live. Like, the dog. How much work it takes, either in sound or whenever, to have it set up that the dog in Snatch ate a, ate a chew toy. And so he squeaks every time he, he, he barks. Like, barks or breathes sometimes it's just he's making a squeaking noise through the whole movie because he eats things like that <laughs> now there's a, a plot function for that that this dog eats things mm-hmm. just like indiscriminately but you don't need it didn't have to be that it could have been it could have been anything and you actually would have probably forgotten that he does this mm-hmm. until later you know the dog could eat a bullet Normally, you would think a director would want someone to forget that, and it's oh. just a setup and a payoff. Right. But, like, he's like, no, 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 no. Oh. Like, it's it's just so much fun. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening uh, to this film not rated this week. I'm Curtis. You can follow me on Twitter at 90sGamer407, or you can watch me on Twitch at Merrick underscore Tainment, where every now and then I stream video games or host an anime watch party. And I am Eric. You can find me on Twitter at High Contrast FLM, or you can actually follow me on TikTok at High underscore Contrast underscore EWL. Yeah. Uh, remember, we are a branch of the Music City Driving Podcast Network, so head on over there to learn a little bit more about fantasy football, get some other people's takes on movies, and otherwise enjoy a lot of entertainment content needs. And we will see you all, or listen to you all, or you'll listen to us next time.